It was oh so close to gaining that first point of the season for Norwich City, but it ended in a 2-1 defeat to Leicester. We are here to record the latest Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast fresh out of Carrow Road to review that defeat to the Foxes. Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Dabbitt and Connor Southwell coming to you as ever in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM. And Paddy, if I come to you first, am I fair in saying that if Norwich play like that against Watford and direct rivals and came out on the losing side, they would feel very, very hard done by? Yes, but um, we've been here before. For me, it's the Premier League, and and they've if you could you could ah oh, justifiably say they've ra- raised their performance levels to to meet one of the top end sides in the Premier League today, but came up short, and some of the reasons are of their own making. We'll get into that in due course, but then when you call in the Watfords of this world, I think the reality is you might not necessarily get that type of performance again from Norwich. So, for me, it's an opportunity missed today. I think Leicester was there to get something from, and that's certainly what Daniel Farker felt. But positives, no doubt about it, but ultimately pointless again. And, uh, yeah, maybe I've just covered too many of these games and too many seasons in the Premier <laughs> League to, to feel that, yeah, you you I take your point, you extrapolate that performance overall, a lot of good things, and then map it onto one of the lesser lights. But... We all know in the Premier League that they, they could play Watford. They could probably put in that type of performance again, and then hypothetically, is is Lassard does something out the extraordinary, and uh, and they end up losing to Watford. So, yeah, no, tracking in a, in a positive direction, but still, ultimately, the the sense that there are areas, both in terms of individuals' performances, but also in terms of the structural setup of that team, that need to be addressed if they're going to start picking up points. Yeah, and there's, it's never too far away until you've got another of the big boys or another team who are owned by a billionaire who have got top players just around the corner. So momentum and motivation, those things are difficult. We will go through the game very shortly. Um, I'll just say at the top, we will touch on uh, transfers inevitably because of what's happened in this game. Uh, we are going to talk about the central defensive midfield role, but given the proximity as we're recording to the transfer deadline, which is 11pm on Tuesday night. We won't go too deep, to paraphrase Daniel Farker, because uh, things can move on very quickly at this stage of the transfer window and could well uh, do. So we don't want things to get too dated in this uh, in this pod. But of course, Pinkin.com will have all the latest lines. We'll keep you up to date with everything that's going on. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, you will probably already have seen our story about Onel Hernandez being uh, imminent at Middlesbrough on loan for the season. We've already had Jordan Hugill join West Brom on loan this week. Tom Tribal cancelled his contract and signed for Hanover. The busy transfer window continued and we will review all of that in, in the days to come. But, Connor, I just wanted to, at the top of the pod to really come to what I felt was quite a heartening moment at full time just after Adam Eder had fired wide after more good play from Max Aarons. He, you know, if he'd have scored that, it would have just blown the roof off the stadium, wouldn't it? But after... As I put it in my video verdict on, on YouTube, it felt like there was a big sigh of disappointment while Casper Schmeichel was lining up his goal kick and the referee, for some reason, waits for the goalkeeper to, t- to take the goal kick before blowing the final whistle. But then there was a lovely reaction, I felt. I, f- I felt that like everybody in Carrow today really had an appreciation for just what a shift Norwich had put in and for the positives that were in amongst, obviously, the, the negatives that we will cover as well. Yeah, I think largely it was it was a very good performance and uh, particularly when you compare it to, to how dejected I think everyone was last week against Manchester City. But mm. 
to kind of echo what Paddy says, it, it just shows how much you have to exert to get a point in this in this division. Norwich have of putting probably a performance that that merited certainly a point. Um, I think Daniel Farker tried to stake a claim that maybe it was free, but um, or could have been free. But I, I think that's probably a little bit generous. I think it was it was probably a relatively even game. Leicester were under par, and yet they've still come away with nothing. And that is that is the the difficulties of the Premier League. And and, and when you are facing these elite sides, small margins are so great. Um, I. You look at you look at the first goal, which I'm sure we'll deconstruct in, in more detail. But that's just that's just horrendous um, defensively. And then the second one, which which could is, is is well, the difference really is that Billy Gilmore doesn't make a, a tactical foul, isn't it? And um, and they go on to to attack. Um, so it does it does feel like in this league you really get punished for your mistakes. I think we've we've seen it all before in many regards. So. I would say tempered optimism really from from what we saw today because if you can improve on that and this is a team that is still gelling um, and again as we'll get into I, I think there are still a lot of elements um, that, that need to be worked on and improved and I think Daniel will see that as well but simply put it side by side with that Manchester City result and this was this was much improved and, and they now have two weeks with um, a core of the squad, really, obviously, with the exception of those players heading heading out um, to to play for their countries, to really work on different elements. But I thought the difference, certainly second half in their defensive shape compared to um, how it was against Manchester City, was vastly improved, um, with the exception of certain areas. Um, and they they looked to they looked to threat as well today going forward. Um, Rashica in particular, I thought was was very lively and very bright and. That was kind of an extended performance of what we'd seen in the opening 20 minutes against Liverpool. So again, if if those things continue in that vein, then then we're probably in a more positive place. Um, and it doesn't feel like they're too far away, but in this division, it's whether they can get close enough and, and what that means um, in, in terms of their survival prospects. So probably one that we can take a view on in, in a few weeks as to where exactly Norwich City are, but put it side by side with their, their opening two games. And, uh, and I think this one is is probably the standout. Yeah, I, I felt they deserved a draw as well. And I really enjoyed the game as a spectacle. I thought it was a proper, intense Premier League match. A uh, bit of drama in the mix with, with some VAR action and just just a good match. I, I, I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, the Manchester City defeat was given a, a nicer shade, thanks to Arsenal also losing 5-0 there at lunchtime, ahead of ahead of kickoff on this one, which actually means, as we're recording, Arsenal are bottom of the Premier League table because they haven't scored a goal. And Norwich did, thanks to Tamu Puki's penalty just before half-time. And sitting here now, if if this had been the opening day of the season and we hadn't had those two results behind it, I think we'd all be talking about feeling that Norwich are in this Premier League season, that they've got a good shout of being able to get a foothold. And hopefully that's the big thing that I take away from today is that they are going to have a foothold in this, but we'll see. Uh, Man of the match, if we kick off with that, I went for Max Ahrens. Um, I gave him, he was the only player I gave 8 out of 10 for in my ratings. Pad, uh, Ahrens for you as well? Um, Yeah, I haven't really given it too much detail for at this stage of the record, but... um, Connor was right. I thought Rashica caught the eye as well. But yeah, no, I'd probably come down on on the Max Camp as well. I thought second half particularly as well. Um, both defensively did a right good job on Harvey Barnes, mm. who even got hooked in the second half. And there's a player, you know, 
recently signed a new deal at Leicester and Brendan Rodgers saying he can be anything he wants in the game but he was second best against Max today and also as we touched on for the Eder chance he was good there was another brilliant pick he broke up a Leicester attack looked up and actually saw Timo and Mark back post about <laughs> 10 yards out and we were all saying it in the press box weren't we? Yeah. look at Timo <laughs> and, and he saw it to be fair and executed the ball and mm. uh, not the best of headers straight at Schmeichel so yeah I'd probably agree with you DF yeah Max for me and, and does Max edge it for you, Con? Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, what, I just thought he was really impressive in his defensive work against a player, uh, a winger that is that is very, very good at Premier League level. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a difficult start for him. I think we we criticised him probably rightly for for the way. Well, I'm trying to word this correctly. Um, his, well, the way he didn't track back. Let's word it like that for the, for the goal against oh, yeah. uh, Liverpool and. Um, I think this is this is probably the the max that we know and love, and and if he can if he can repeat that performance over the next thirty five games, then I, I don't think there's any debate about next summer and and where his future will be because it'll be away from Carroll Road, and, and I think what he does so well is it's not necessarily standout performances, even though I thought today was it's it's kind of consistency is is what he drives upon, and um, and, and yeah, I thought he was I thought he was pretty good both defensively and and going forward today. Yeah, um, I liked Rashica as well. I thought Gibson and Campbell both did some good uh, things. Lise Malou, some good things as well, although not consistently. Um, before we go through the game, the, the stats-wise, Norwich had 45% of possession. Uh, they had more shots than Leicester. They had 14 and 4 on target to Leicester's 9 and 3 on target and 9 corners each, which emphasises what I was saying a minute ago about it being an entertaining game and, and being played at a high tempo and things. So, unfortunately, Pad, though, it all started on a on a bit of a low note, didn't it, for poor old Brandon Williams, who got the nod ahead of Demetrius Yanoulis in the starting lineup, as did Kenny McLean ahead of Lucas Rupp. They were the two changes. It was up against a Leicester team who were in the midst of a bit of a defensive crisis as well. They were about um, Vestergaard, Evans, Fafana, James Justin, Ryan Bertrand wasn't involved either. So that's a that's a heck of a defence. I mean, frankly, all of those players would probably get in Norwich's team, wouldn't they? If, if you're going to be quite honest. And that emphasises that Leicester are a good team. They finished fifth last season. They won the FA Cup in the Europa League. They bought <laughs> James Madison from Norwich for £20 million plus, uh, plus pounds. So... Leicester aren't on Norwich's level. They're not a direct rival. I don't think that that's how the season will shape up. But having looked at the replay pad, I still don't really know what what Brandon Williams was doing. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and it wasn't just him as well. I mean, you could roll that on. Um, but ultimately, he's checked back a couple of times, I think. They've almost tried to play a triangle with Gibson pushing it out. And on the second occasion, he's turned back inside and he's just been too slow. I think the first touch may be slightly heavy given Ricardo Pereira all the uh, invitation he needed. And bang, that's the Premier League speed of thought, speed of action, and um, nips it off him. Bearing in mind, he's a guy who hasn't played any football at all. I mean, that game midweek, his debut against Bournemouth, probably the first, well, certainly the first time this season he's put on a, a, a shirt in the first team, not got a game at United. So we'll cut him maybe a bit of slack there. But thereafter, I thought Ben Gibson was very poor as well. I mean, he had two or three yards on Pereira, and yet, you know, outstripped him for pace, didn't use his experience to concede a tactical foul there. Uh, and then the ball gets cut back and lo and behold, Jamie Vardy is 16 yards out unmarked. I don't know what Hanley's doing. Gilmore is too slow as well to react. He was just a catalogue of errors. And then the finish is the finish of befitting a guy who's a prolific scorer at Premier League level, but um, so annoying that it's been sourced essentially um, by Norwich's mistakes and what they didn't do. And that was repeated for the second goal. It was, and 
I think if you'd have taken that mistake out from Brandon Williams, A, the game may well have unfolded very differently, but B, I, I don't think it was too bad overall from Williams, was it, Connor? No, I thought he was OK overall. Um, positionally, I, I thought it was it was an improvement on, on what we saw from Yanoulis in, in probably the first two games. It's, it's yeah, just as, as Pad says, he's been punished for the first one and, and second one, to be fair, I think he's, he's probably scrambling because of... Norwich's inability to to tactically foul. Um, I, I think it was Iannaccio, wasn't it? Um, the, the Gilmore failed to to bring yeah, down. Yeah. So again, the, the, they switch the play and he gets stretched. So I, I don't think you can necessarily f- sort of throw that one down at his door. Could he stand him up? Probably, um, but it all felt a bit desperate. I think when the ball ball got across to Brighton anyway. So no, I, I I don't think it was it was too bad. Um, obviously, elements that. I think naturally will improve because of the reasons that Pad said, not played a lot of football, still um, a lot of raw materials there. But I, I really like the way he presses. Um, I think there's a, a really good intensity to pretty much everything that he does. There's a nice bit of aggression. Um, we saw um, some interesting theatrics in the second half to try, try and win a couple of free kicks as well. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's, some, there's something there definitely with him. And um, I, I think it may just we may just need a bit of patience to see him really sort of fully sort of bed into to how to how Norwich play and and I felt to be fair he, he was really good at giving Rashid for a lot of space we we spoke about how effective he was today he didn't look to overlap him or underlap him at any opportunity he, he kind of gave him space at times to run with the ball and attack defenders and sort of knew when to join the attack and when just to let Rashid kind of go go on his own and, and support from a deeper position so certainly um some positives there from him but yeah it was uh, i mean the first goal is is just a mess really um and that's two or three four errors after he he loses the ball so um probably wider than him but yeah the the first mistake is is pretty poor yeah, I, I had a feeling that once he got in, then that might be you know you knew this out of things. But I think it's still uh, still up for grabs at the moment. He's, it's not like he's nailed down that left back spot today at all, because obviously he had a bit of a nightmare start. And I think he could have done a bit more for the second goal. He probably should, would have been better staying on his feet. And actually, there was a little deflection on the Albrighton shot, wasn't there, which helped to, to sort of take it away from from Tim Krul. So yeah, Brandon Williams work to do, but I still think there's a good player there. I think that. I do think that he will have the edge over Yanulis, but we'll see how things unfold. Um, after the uh, opening goal, Casper Schmeichel made good saves from Kenny McLean and particularly from Pierre-Lise Malou. Uh, Tim Krull also had to do well uh, to thwart Jamie Vardy after uh, Grant Hanley was a bit unlucky, actually, wasn't he, when he made a good interception but just couldn't keep hold of the ball and, and Vardy nipped in. And um, On the replay, you actually see that Hanley was probably a little bit lucky that Vardy didn't go down and try and win a penalty because there was a little bit of contact there. Um, but anyway, Krull deals with that one. And then the pe- the penalty comes along and, well... I'm not really sure what took VAR so long to decide this one, Connor, because from pretty much the first and second replay to me, it looked a clear penalty and we're we're all just saying, what is Soyuncu doing? Yeah, it's, it's a really silly challenge, isn't it? I, and I think I'll give credit to, to Le Malou here as well because I think he there's a, a moment where he just steps and he, and he gets his standing foot between the ball and, and, and Sunucci and, and I think as soon as he does that and there's contact, it's a penalty, isn't it? Um, I mean, he, he doesn't really get the ball or the man, to be honest, but there's enough there for it to, to be a penalty. And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I'm pretty shocked that it took them as long as it did and for the referee to need to go over to the screen to, to have a look at him, himself. I thought it was fairly nailed on. I'm not really sure what 
Sanucci is doing, making that sort of challenge in his own penalty area, in that sort of place in the penalty area as well. Because it's not like Le Malou was, was sort of bearing down on goal or anything like that. He was, he was in a fairly wide position. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's probably long overdue now he's getting a, a favourable VAR decision. The longer it went on, the the longer I was kind of wondering if if they would kind of stick with their original decision and and stick with the corner, even though it probably would have been a goal kick. Um, but yeah, the the right decision in the end, and I think ultimately that's that's the best thing. Um, even even though that it, it took as long as it did, I thought we were kind of past that with with VAR to be honest, but seemingly not. But the main thing is they they got it right and uh, correctly awarded the penalty in the end. In the end, yeah, I think Padu made a good point at the time that because he'd given him given a corner, he'd sort of put him, himself in a corner, hadn't he? And they they had to get the decision right. And why he needed to go over the screen to do that, I, I really don't know. But let's let's not go on about VAR. The important thing is that Samu Puki stepped up, sent Casper Michael the wrong way, and, and scores a goal which is going to mean a lot to him, isn't it? I mean, it's number sixty eight for Norwich, so I think he's. Two, if I'm remembering this correctly, he's too short of John Dean in eighth place in the club's all time. So, I think regardless of the sort of pookie debate, and I think some people have maybe been uh, on social media and stuff have been a little bit dismissive and disrespectful of pookie when you remember just how incredible his three seasons for the club have been. I mean, if he were to score ten or fifteen goals this season, then he would be getting pretty close I think off the top of my head to sort of fifth or sixth place all time in, in the club's um, goal scoring list so yeah that's going to be a big weight off his shoulders isn't it all day long I mean I've got to be honest um, apologies to any of our Finnish listeners but I, I'd be quite happy if he hung up his international uh, boots and <laughs> uh, and called time on on his international career and what a great career he's had you know he was not not Alone, but he he shouldered a lot of the burden to get him to that first ever tournament, finals tournament, the recently delayed Euros, and sadly, obviously for him, we all saw he wasn't himself with that injury picked up towards the end of his last club season. But my fear is now he he's obviously been called up again for Finland. He'll go off travelling for two weeks. He'll probably play all the minutes um, because he's such an integral part of that. Whereas what you like from an Norwich perspective is essentially go and put your feet up for two weeks on the, on the sofa and then you can imagine the, the energy levels um and that lack of fatigue um and he he would he would be for me then still more than capable of, of getting into double figures in the premier league i'm not saying he won't go on and do that but mm. i just think this the this club and country burden that he shoulders now he's not getting any younger daniel himself said recently you know with josh shard and that I think at the end of this season, Timo is 32 and um, and they're almost planning with his arrival um, for what happens next. And I would just like to think if 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 he had took that decision, um, then that might prolong his club career, certainly at the top level for Norwich. I don't think that is, there's any chance of that happening because he such, takes such pride and... and you know, he made it known that even in with an injury, you know, he wasn't not going to be part of Finland at the Euros because that was a that was his lifelong dream. He's uh, really close to Lippmann's record as well. Exactly, two goals. So he's not he's not any time soon going to knock it on the head. But I, I just think purely and simply looking at it from Norwich perspective mm. and how important he could be for Norwich this season, you'd rather he wasn't playing for his country. But um, that's that's sadly not going to happen any time soon. But um, yeah, it'll give him a shot of confidence because he, I'm sure. If he's not plugged into social media, he doesn't strike me as a guy who is uh, religiously refreshing Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. But he he himself would probably feel that you know questions are being asked now, and and 
off the back of the second part of the last Premier League season where, you know, again, there was an injury involved there. That, funnily enough, at Leicester, just before Christmas that season, he wasn't really the same player again. But still, there would be people questioning, could he step up and score goals at Premier League level? So, penalty spot or no penalty spot, he, as Daniel said, you know, he had to wait a good five minutes and had a lot of thinking time and it was a very composed finish, sent Schmeichel the wrong way. So, good for him on a personal level. But, as I say, I'd much rather... We didn't see him again until Arsenal, and sadly that isn't going to be the case. Mm. Well, they've got a World Cup to fight for, haven't they? And as you say, he turns 32. I can't remember who the first team they play is in the break, unless you can, Connor. But they play France, don't they, in the second game? Um, So the world champion. So I'm sure he's looking forward to that one. But yeah, so close to the record. And I felt like... Once he'd got that goal, his pressing just seemed to be that a little bit sharper and he just seemed a little bit freer. He didn't have a lot of chances today, did he? But I felt when Sargent came on for him in, what, the 73rd minute, I felt like he had really worked himself into the ground a little bit. And perhaps you, you sort of teed up the international stuff there. All three strikers are going away, aren't they? Eda's with Ireland, Pukki's with Finland and Sargent, of, of course... Connor is is potentially playing less than or only a little bit more than sort of forty eight hours before the game in Honduras. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not it's not ideal, is it at all? Um, I mean, I'm, I've got Finland's fixtures in front of me. They start with a a friendly against Wales um, uh, and then two World Cup qualifiers. So maybe if you're Norwich, you're maybe asking um, the yeah. the Finland boss just to to dip Puki out of the the friendly against Wales. And then obviously they've got two World Cup qualifiers against Kazakhstan and and uh, France. I'm I'm just looking where they are in their group and and they sit third at the moment. Um, what a point behind Ukraine. So still very much up for grabs in terms of World Cup qualification and uh, and what that could mean for them. And and he is well, he's a superstar, isn't he? Of that of that team. So. Possibly you're looking at a, a minimum of two games for Timu Puki, which is um, a lot of load. Josh Sargent as well. There's there's a lot of injuries at the moment with um, American international strikers. I think they've they pretty much called up him and, and an 18 year old whose name escapes me at the moment. So I, I would say it, it looks very likely that he's going to get a lot of minutes. And then Adam Eder as well with Ireland. So it's not really an ideal predicament to be in um, as you kind of head towards what is a more favourable sort of five games once once you get past Arsenal really um, as well as favourable as anything can be in the Premier League they're, they're all incredibly difficult um, so who knows I, th- I think on, on the evidence of, of today you could certainly see a scenario where you could play a Rashica up front if, if necessary I think he, he'd give them certainly something a, a little bit different in terms of in behind and and that threat, obviously, it's it's a massive blow. Uh, obviously, about Scholes being out for for two to mm. three weeks, because then I think you you do get into the realms of something pretty exciting if Norwich are going to persist with this um, kind of four three three, looking to hit teams on on the counter um, type of of style. Even though that wasn't necessarily the case in the first half today, more so in the second, and I felt they did it pretty effectively, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what that team sheet looks like um, when we all sort of reconvene at the Emirates um, after the international break. And what is uh, what are we, are we saying? A relegation six pointer now? Kevin Arsenal are down there. Yeah. I mean, um, might as well. Might as well enjoy yeah, it. exactly. Yeah, whether Arteta will, will be there or not, I'm not quite sure yet. But yeah, I think I think at least this time you look at the you look at the squad. And I was thinking about this actually as I was walking to Carrow Road today, and you think, well. There's options there now, whereas two years ago, really, you were looking at Timu Puki for the goals, Emi Buendia for the creativity. You knew who the, the midfield two were going to be in, in McLean and Tetty. And, and it was kind. Of, it all felt like if there was an injury or a problem, as we saw with the centre-backs, um, 
that that was really going to really going to hurt them um, this season. Certainly in attacking areas, at least it doesn't feel like that. And I think we saw today a couple of, uh, of strikes from Le Malou. Um, McLean had one from distance in the first half, didn't he? That Schmeichel held. Rashica looks a threat. Well, Scholes as, as well on Tuesday night. Josh Sargent, Adam Eder. There's goals beyond Timu Puki now. So even if he does go and get or play in all three games hypothetically, which probably is a, a fairly realistic scenario, then you would hope Norwich were, won't lose kind of their attacking edge and, and their goal scoring threat that, that we saw this afternoon because of the some, well, some of the quality options that they've got at least. So if you're Daniel Farker, I think you're probably feeling a little bit more relaxed than, than maybe you would have done two years ago. It's not an ideal international break for, for Farker, is it? He's losing a lot of players. You've got Hanley, McLean, Gilmore off with Scotland, Omar Bamadeli and Ida with Ireland, uh, Sargent with America, Pukki, Krull, Yanulis, uh, Aarons, Aarons, sorry. <laughs> um, there's, there's a load of them. He's not going to really have many of the, the first 11, shall we say, to, to work with. So whether Daniel can work any international break magic, I don't know. But that is kind of how it is in, in the Premier League these days. We don't know, we don't quite know what's going to happen with Rashica, with Kosovo being on the red, uh, a red country and, and things like that yeah. in terms of COVID. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be quite an, an odd international break potentially. And, as Connor's mentioned there, Pad, we might as well come on to it now. Scholes did miss this game. Calf problems after the, the Bournemouth match. Um, and, and it's looking like two to three weeks out. Um, but to reflect on the Bournemouth game briefly, because obviously that was since um, the, we recorded the last pod. Um, how impressed were you with him in, in that game? Uh, and do you feel like if he had been on the bench today, he really could have made a, a big impact? And that we, we have got a, a serious play on our hands here. There's no doubt, yeah, there's no doubt. And with that massive caveat that it was Bournemouth's in some areas, certainly the area of the pitch he was occupying, probably a very uh, fresh-faced, unproven uh, Bournemouth player. So, yeah, you can understand straight away Daniel was very keen to play it down. But there is no doubt that at 1-1 in that second half, it felt like a bit of a deadlock. Um, and both sides were almost, you know, kind of trading blows and that Jolis di- dispatched into that environment, given off the back of what he did and the excitement he generated midweek, would have given the crowd a lift there today, would have given his teammates a lift as well, and because he is a bit of a wild card as well, could just have made something happen, and that might have been a difference, because irrespective of who he played midweek, he made things happen, whether it was his goal scoring, whether it was his general awareness and, and the assists he laid on as well, and um, he looks like a player who, even though he's, as Daniel keeps telling us, unproven in this level of football against this level of opponent he looks to have the raw material that I think he would handle whatever you put in front of him um, because he's got that ability you know if he's touted as Daniel has touted him as one of the best for his age in his position across Europe then it shouldn't have phased him being thrown into you know that environment today so that was a blow that was a big blow I think because um, off the back of what he did midweek can you imagine um, how how pumped the crowd would have been if he'd have been stripped and ready to come on in that second half Um, but fair play to Rashidza. I'm, I'm sure he was watching as well with interest and I think his performance may be reflected to a degree as well as getting more fitter and, and more acclimatised to his new surroundings. But I'm sure if you're Rashidza and you see uh, what, what Jolis did midweek, you know, you know you have to raise your levels as well because Daniel said mid to longer term, I think he's probably revising that now on the back of what he did against Bournemouth and once he is fit again, the other side... Possibly Arsenal might be a little bit too soon, but then as Connor alluded to there, there's a more favourable run of Premier League fixtures um, 
against some of the teams who you would expect to be in and around them, then I think that's when we might start to see this guy um, blooded in the first team environment at Premier League level. And uh, if he carries on where he left off, then good times ahead. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Let's bring it back to the game then. Um, after the Pookie goal, Carrow's bouncing really. It's it's just so satisfying to have that first Premier League goal. And, and really, it's still quite a surreal thought to me that when the pandemic broke out in March 2020, and we had no idea what that it was going to be so long. But we joked at times, didn't we, that wouldn't it be funny if Norwich ended up coming back and there being a full crowd and they were back in the Premier League. And, and there we are celebrating a, a Premier League goal again, Tammy Boogie scoring a penalty. And it just almost feels like, did that 18 months happen? <laughs> it was quite quite a surreal thought. But um, after the break, um, everyone uh, is obviously excited about what's to come. Campwell and Lise Malou both go close. The chance that you described earlier, Pad, when Aaron's picked out Pookie with the header, but he could only loop the um, the header to Schmeichel. Uh, Tielemans smashed one just over for Leicester. And then the goal comes. Um, Ian Acho sort of creates it after coming off the bench and, and, a, and a good finish from Albrighton. But I guess this is the, the point where we have the central defensive midfielder debate which is the big one really isn't it this is what we're all talking about ahead of the transfer deadline ahead of the summer transfer window slamming shut as it does but Connor this was not a goal that covered Norwich in glory and and you you mentioned it a little bit earlier in terms of Billy Gilmore potentially being able to take the tactical foul in the build-up but it's more for me that with Billy unfortunately I don't like putting uh sort of criticizing him too heavily because He's 20. He is, although he comes with a big reputation, um, he is still learning his his way in the Premier League. And the the thing that sort of frames it for me is that Oli Skip, when he started out with Norwich, there were he was raw, but he picked it up pretty quickly and, of course, was fantastic last season. Um, but he was learning in the Championship. Billy Gilm was doing it for a t- newly promoted team in the Premier League. That is not easy. And at the moment, he just doesn't seem feel to me, whether that's tied up in confidence or experience or what, he doesn't seem able to make that kind of a tackle. He doesn't seem to be sharp enough. He doesn't seem to have the engine that Skip had, the mobility that Skip had to to be in that position to stop Ian Acho before he gets forward. Um how do you see? Do you think he just needs to be taken out of the firing line in that defensive midfield role? Is it, is it just too much on young shoulders at this stage? Yeah, I don't think he's a defensive midfielder. I, I think that's that's what it comes down to. Certainly not in the way that Norwich City would um, well need one, essentially, um, which is someone who's dynamic, someone who can get about, someone who, who is capable in possession, but they don't need to be... Um, performing 45-yard passes. I think more important aspects are breaking up the play, how they protect the back two. And, I mean, that that was exposed. We, we spoke about the first goal, but there, there were numerous times in the first half where the ball would turn over and it was almost like it was a five against three in terms of in, in Leicester's favour because Norwich just had so little protection of, of their back line. Jamie Vardy has stood in acres of space. That mm. in, in an ideal world, you go, well, that's where your defensive midfielder is when the centre-backs naturally drop off to to cover the space kind of in front of the goal. Um, 
it's just yeah, he's, he's not particularly great in defensive transitions and, and working back, and and whether that is a willingness to, which I'm sure it isn't. I think it's just more a uh, kind of physical capability point, because there's a good player there. I mean, I think he's he's a little bit one dimensional at times, um, possession wise, but not not in a bad way. I think Norwich will get a lot more out of him when we see him hopefully in in a more advanced midfield mm. position. That's obviously not behind the striker, but similarly to, to maybe someone like Kenny McLean, I think if, if you tell him, look, just go and be busy, go and win the ball, go and, uh, and spray the passes, that again, he, he played some lovely passes at times today, um, but it's just not what Norwich needed in that position at this time. And it's a big, it's a big responsibility to, to put on a 20-year-old who, as we said, hasn't played a huge amount of senior football in spite of kind of his rave reviews and stuff. So, yeah, I think there is an element of protecting him from here. I, I've got a slight theory potentially that we may see if they do get in a defensive midfielder that, that, that Daniel is confident and happy with, whether we'll, we'll see them go back to a two. Um, it does kind of feel like at the moment they're playing free to really cover themselves in where they're sort of lacking defensively at the moment. Um, but I think what's keen to stress is whoever comes in now as that defensive midfielder, they're going to be under a lot of pressure and expectation um, by a lot of people. And, I don't think it's as simple as, well, Norwich get a defensive midfielder, he's really good, and then they start. up. I don't think it's easier mm. than that. I think the issue at the moment is, certainly in the midfield, is more structurally and, and just kind of working out. And look, they've got so much time to do it, so it's not like they need to get it sorted for Arsenal. Um, it, it will take time to develop, particularly if they're going to bring another body in there. Um, but that midfield structure, to me, at the minute, isn't quite right. I think there are times when... You want one of them to be more advanced than they aren't, and there's probably times when you want some of them to to be a bit more um, defensively switched on, and, and they're not either. So, I mean, there were so many times, for example, they were kind of just a very flat free when Norwich had the ball and when Norwich didn't have the ball, and there was so much space in front, and and that's probably why they struggled to get Pookie in the game from from an open play perspective, um, and why they didn't offer too much protection to the defence either. So. Yeah, we'll see how it develops. I think that everyone knows they need one. Um, I think they'll get one. And what that does for them in terms of tactically, and, and hopefully then we can see Billy Gilmore in a position that I think he's he's more accustomed to. And we've already spoken about the role he played at Chelsea, obviously alongside Kante and Jorginho had more protection in that role. I mean, obviously different calibre of players, but in terms of pure tactical role, he, he, he was very different to what we're seeing at the moment. And I think... The more evidence we get, the more obvious it is that that's just not that's just not his position. Yeah, and anyone who's kidding themselves that Arsenal is going to be anything other than a very very difficult game is doing just that. They're kidding themselves. But in no way are we writing off Billy Gilmore. You can clearly see the talent. I just feel like it, it, you almost need to free him of this responsibility, and then maybe we'll we'll see the best of him because yeah, he has pinged some nice passes around. Um, as I said earlier in the pod, we don't want to sort of get too deep into the transfers because um, the deadline is looming. But of course, Matthias Norman is the one who's been the big defensive midfielder that's been linked, or sort of defensive midfielder, certainly a central midfielder at least. From we're sort of trying to work out exactly what sort of player he is. But it sounds like I think everybody in the Norwich City sort of bubble for weeks now have been in universal agreement that they need to make that one more. Uh, that one further addition in that position, and and it sounds like from everything we hear, Pad, that the club are very much on board with that as well. That would appear to be where we're at, Dave. Yeah, I mean we're recording this on Saturday evening. Uh, depending on when you're listening to this, good people, 
there might already be some good news. So um, keep watching the Pinkin channels, as always. That's what we'll advise to do. But um, he is the one they want. Uh, they're confident they can get that deal done between now and uh, Tuesday, uh, which is the official deadline. Um, and as Connor rightly says, he certainly comes with an expectation that he he could be uh, he could be the the answer to all their prayers, which I don't think is necessarily the case, and probably not necessarily fair on him. Um, but it certainly should uh, allow Daniel to maybe go in a direction that that he's singly not able to do at the minute because they don't have that type of skip esque presence in his midfield. And it's not, um, you know you're talking about balance. I mean, last season you had skip there, but then you have. A Buendia, a Cantwell, a Dowell, as it was, um, are able to do what they need to do. Daniel's not really had certainly the skip element because um, McLean isn't that, Rupp isn't that, Gilmore and Lise Malou certainly aren't that. So I think if this guy is uh, brought over the line, and that's the expectation, um, then we'll start to maybe see the unlocking of what a Norwich midfield looks like under Daniel in the Premier League, or at least the preferred option, um, because at the minute there's a few square pegs in round holes, Gilmore principally among those. So, um, yep, um, all looking pretty confident, I think, that he is going to be the one. Um, and then, hopefully, they can do some in-centre-back-wise uh, as well between now and Tuesday. That's that's very much the plan still. That's the indication from the club. So, uh, it's going to be, hopefully, a productive end to the window. Can Has Norman got the key to unlocking Farker's midfield? I, I quite like that as a, as a narrative theme and I've still got a feeling that despite how close we are to the transfer deadline that Stuart Webber will still have every intention of if at all possible having his feet up on deadline day because he's said before isn't he to us formally and informally that he does not like deadline day so if they can get both deals done before deadline day I'm sure that will be his his aim um I'll come back to you Pad on on the goal um the or the goal that wasn't the disallowed VAR goal, the McLean header from another lovely Rashica corner. To be fair, he delivered some good ones today. Put them right in the mixer, didn't he? Made the goalkeeper or or the centre backs really work. They were frankly better than Gilmore's corners, weren't they? Um, we have a, a quite strange viewpoint on on VAR ones, don't we? Because we see the replay before the punters do, and on the TVs up in front of us in the press box. And as soon as we saw it, we all went, "Oh no, here we go." And it's happened two seasons ago. It was the same as well, wasn't it? I remember the uh, which one was it? The um, Connor Wickham goal for yeah. Palace, which we all thought was going to be ruled out at first, didn't we? And then we saw it, and we're like, "No, he's onside." And we we then just have to wait for the groan around Carrow Road, don't we? And unfortunately, we all saw that Todd Campbell was plonked right in front of Casper Schmeichel and was marginally offside, and we just had to take a deep breath and and get ready for the the heartbreak that was about to envelop Carrow Road. Yeah, yeah, it was very frustrating, as you say, Dave. Um, And Daniel, even after the game, having seen it, no doubt, multiple times, feels that that was the wrong call. Um, His issue is is around um, this offside, but is he interfering, is he not interfering? And you can take your view on that, but ultimately he feels it was a mistake by the VAR officials. Um, as he says, I think paraphrasing, but if Campbell hadn't been there, Schmeichel's not getting that. No. But I don't, I don't think that's clearly how the VAR and the referee would interpret that rule, uh, that law. So um, yeah, I think on balance they they got got that one right, albeit hugely frustrating because I, as I tend to agree with Daniel, I think it was so perfectly placed inside the far post, Schmeichel. Three Schmeichels on the line aren't saving that. So, um, 
but it is what it is, and it's not as if we can we can bang the uh, VAR as horrendous for Norwich drum because, albeit it was the right decision, but they did get a VAR overturn in the first half. So, what goes around comes around, I guess. But um, yeah, it, it did add to the sense of um, just in those key moments, it just didn't go for Norwich. But you know, as we've dissected already, you know those key moments include goals for Leicester where they they're culpable by poor errors individually and collectively. So, you know. The Premier League is a brutal environment and, um, you know, ultimately they have to take these matters out of the hands of VAR officials and into their own hands. And if they, they get their own house in order, then that's probably a footnote in, in the game, isn't it, ultimately? So, um, yeah, disappointing, but probably the right call. Yeah, sadly, it feels like they've been done by a technicality, almost. You know, he's, he is in the keeper's line of sight. That's probably where it comes into, in terms of the law, isn't it? And... But I suppose a lot of people's sort of issue with with VAR is almost that too often they're looking for a way of disallowing a goal. They're looking at those replays thinking, well, can we rule that out? And as you say, with a bit of common sense, it's like, well, Schmeichel's not getting that anyway. But that's not how the interpretation of football laws work, unfortunately, is it? No, um, no. I, I don't think Peter Schmeichel's getting to it, let alone Cashman Schmeichel. So, <laughs> both I mean, of it's, them. Yeah, <laughs> both of them together, yeah. It's, um, uh, and this, uh, I think this is people's problem with 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 VAR isn't it it's it's kind of the interpretation of laws and whether they are black and white and and, and whatnot because uh, as Daniel quite eloquently made after the game there's a case that you can make that that he isn't in in the line of sight I, I think he even said in in one post-match interview that, that Michael's um taller than Todd I don't know if that's quite right but that, that's kind of what he said um so the so, referee gave it didn't he the referee then stopped and put his finger to his ear like Norwich the linesman definitely had the flag up Definitely had the flag up. So, I mean, if the Lions was given it, to be fair, it's, it's an incredible decision. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think ultimately, as, as Pad kind of maps out there, as frustrating as it is, I, I think the two key decisions that went to VAR today, they got right. Um, even though they took horrendously long over over probably both of them, to be honest. Um, but if, it's, if, if that is the difference, uh, I guess, from the perspective of, of one going for Norwich and one going against Norwich you want them both to be right and, and they, they they were both right today I, I don't think anyone can really have any complaints and I think in a quiet moment Daniel will probably admit to himself that that probably was like I say on a technicality but you, you have to go by the laws of the game and, and, and it's it's the correct decision unfortunately and yeah unfortunately Rob Norwich of a point that I think they 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 deserved. I think the game deserved. It was an excellent game of football where probably both teams cancelled cancelled each other out. And I think if it would have been two two and and Todd would have been um, a yard further in, in in the box, then everyone would have gone home happy. And and I think both teams would have reflected on that as well. Certainly from Leicester's perspective, with their defensive kind of issues, I think they'd have looked at that as a good point. Norwich would have been off the board. So yeah, in another world, but um, sadly wasn't to be. Absolutely, yeah. I, I felt like a draw would have been the fairer result, but uh, there are m- more controversial VAR decisions, I, I think, in, in since it's been introduced. But um, already from the tweaks that they've made to it, generally, overall in the Premier League this season, it shows what a pig's ear they made of it in the first season, which, of course, Norwich found out to their cost with that one that will haunt us forever, the, the Tamer Puki goal against Tottenham with that beautiful Mario Vrancic pass and a lovely finish which this season would probably stand because yeah. they're now looking to rule out the, the toenail decisions are they but too little too late unfortunately and 
I think that just about wraps the game, really. I mean, there was some chaos at the end, wasn't there? Norwich chucked the kitchen sink and Tim Krull into the box. <laughs> and the, the bright pink Tim Krull, you couldn't miss him, could you? He just sort of put himself about a little bit. And they had one break, didn't they, where Campwell desperately tried to scythe uh, Vardy down but couldn't quite catch up with him. And somehow Ian Acho ends up not scoring when Norwich are at sixes and sevens. But... They didn't find the third goal, which would have given the uh, certainly would have been a, an unjust sc- scoreline if it had been three-one. Uh, but Norwich gave it their their best shot, and and Carrow Road really gave them a, a good reception. Um, there were a few moments which I didn't like today. I have to say there were a few bu- uh, a few boos that came from the snake pit when the players took the knee. They were swiftly. Uh, overtaken by uh, applause by the majority of the stadium who um, don't live in some strange world where they think that taking the knee uh, is linked with some, some sort of Marxist political group or, or all, all the sort of nonsense that gets t- talked about it. It is about anti-discrimination. It is about uh, anti-racism. So I don't really understand what the boos are about and that's a little bit worrying to hear that creep in. But Thankfully, the majority of the crowd uh, drowned that out very quickly. And I'm not quite sure what happened with Madison as well when he was taken off, um, whether it was just the heat of the game or something, but got booed and some sort of uh, um, fruity chanting as he was taken off. And he looked a bit disappointed by that as well. So I'm not really sure what what the uh, basis for that was. But again, the majority of the crowd started applauding him as he went off and sort of... Um, drowned it out because they w- weren't quite sure what what was going on there. So um, a couple of moments that I, I didn't particularly enjoy, but overall I thought it was a, a really good uh, game. Uh, just to, to finish on pad, really, um, the O'Neill Hernandez news, and I suppose the the other outgoings from this week, Tribal and and Hugill. Um, Tribal is, was one that was sort of set for a while, wasn't it? So that was no surprise. But with Hugo and Hernandez, um, as we record, O'Neill hasn't actually been confirmed. He was having his medical at Middlesbrough and things like that today. But they've both got two years on their contract, haven't they? And they're both big personalities. And if they both had good seasons in the Championship at West Brom and Borough, and the worst happens and Norwich do find themselves back in the Championship, I'd, I'd say there's every chance that those two could still have a have a future at the club. But, but clearly, if, if they manage to survive in the Premier League, then probably not. Yeah, I think that's fa- fair assessment all round. I think, um, and if they have really good seasons and both those clubs go up, then I'm sure they'd like to make those deals permanent. But um, not a surprise um, because I think very early on in the summer it, it was quite clear that messaging from inside the club that they would um, they would be moving in certain directions in terms of their own inward recruitment recruitment that would probably um, mean as a byproduct those two. Uh, and obviously the the fringer lads, you know, the tribals and Marco Steepman to a lesser extent, but Leitner, those bits of housekeeping, if you want to term yeah. them in that manner, that that was going to happen. Um, I'm more surprised that it's West Brom. I think that's an excellent sort of uh, posting for, for Hugo. Um, you know, Ishmael has gone there and he played with a big target man at Barnsley. So, um, and you would expect with a fair win, they will be firmly in the shake-up. So, so I think that's a great move for him. And, um, yeah, I'll be interested. Arnell gets on with Middlesbrough and Neil Warnock. You know, I wouldn't rule... <laughs> it's, it's an interesting bit of chemistry, that. But I wouldn't rule out, um, you know, them being in and around the, the promotion race because you only look at Warnock's record to get promotions out of that league. It's ph- phenomenal, as good as anything in English football. Um, but, yeah, that, that that is an interesting scenario that if, if Norwich are back in the Championship and those two lads have got plenty of minutes and... On a personal level, you know, decent seasons, then yeah, I'd I'd quite happily, warmly welcome both of those back into the fold because I think at Championship level they both have, they have something to offer. I think Premier League level is beyond them. Certainly, the way Norwich want to go about it, um, 
so it makes perfect sense. And I think probably that more or less now sug- suggests Pueta is going to stay in the building, which I think probably is is the case anyway because of the COVID situation and the fact that he's not been able to get on the park and play any football. I think he might have been in a similar sort of camp, but but now they're allowing Hernandez to go out or at least sanctioning that move if it goes through, then I think that probably means Pujeta is going to stay for the foreseeable and that might be something they revisit in January. Because um, again, I, I, a bit like Hugo, a bit like Hernandez, I think I don't really see him. Now they've brought in Jolis and Rashidza as well and Sargent to a lesser extent. Either can play in those wide areas. I think Pujeta is going to struggle to get any Premier League game time when he's available, obviously, the other side of the break. But yeah, good, good luck to them lads and um, I'll be watching with interest, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, Kieran Dow's struggling to really force Wayne at the moment. So if Dow can't, then I don't really think Poeta can, to be frank. Um, but who knows? We could, we could have some Norwich involvement in the in the playoff final. You've got Hugel at West Brom, Hernandez at Borough, uh, Sam McCallum at QPR, and Mario Vrancic, although he's not a Norwich player anymore, at, at Stoke. So there's probably a pretty decent chance we have at least one Norwich link in uh, the playoff final, which, you know, maybe allow one of us to get to Wembley in May or whenever it is. <laughs> I'm sure we'll... Uh... Not football yet, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way away. But that will do for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, as I said earlier in the pod, the transfer deadline is very much looming. looming. We will have our usual deadline day live blog which i really want to call hashtag no circus in mr davitt's honor but unfortunately you can't really describe it as no circus on deadline day because it very much is a circus isn't it that's part of the fun <laughs> it's peter odom wingy turning up with two minutes to go at qpr's training ground and all that sort of rubbish and carl court being spotted in morrison's and yeah it's all it's all good fun you can have a bit of tongue-in-cheek uh reporting on on deadline day can't you that's that's where it's kind of evolved to so well, do check that out. Uh, we'll have all the usual stuff. We'll have the Q&A at pinkin.com Monday lunchtime. Um, we will um, have the full analysis of this game. So uh, do make sure to catch up with all that and the reaction as well. But for now, Connor, Paddy, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch up with you very soon. 